It's really good to see you. I'm so glad you came, and what an exciting morning already. Great to see new life and excitement about Jesus. We've been in a series together. This is our seventh session and last session on this series called Missing Peace, and we are uh, looking at improving our mental health. It's not a static thing. It's something that we always have to be aware of, pay attention to, work at. And uh, we've hit six topics and an intro. Actually, today is the sixth topic on this session number seven. We're going to talk about beating burnout. But just in case you're there and you've never experienced burnout and don't know what that's all about, um, there's some real good nuggets here today that are very helpful about so many areas. And in a way, it's a really, really good conclusion to what I've felt like was a really helpful series for me personally. I hope you've felt that as well. So we're looking at beating burnout. Now, we kind of need to define what burnout is first, and so I want to put something on the screen for you to consider. Here it is. Burnout is a manifestation of chronic, unmitigated stress. Now, Stress, we kind of understand. Burnout is stress that just keeps stressing and there's no end in sight and you can't stop it and you think that it's never going to end and so you get to the place where you're just emotionally undone and you're ready to quit. Um, Maybe you read, maybe you heard, maybe you experienced in your business right around 2021 or so where everybody had it. They had had it, and we experienced as a nation what they began to call the Great Resignation, where people were quitting everywhere. And at that time, surveys were done, and over 50% of the people identified with the definition of burnout. 50%. They're just done. It's like stress, 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 no end in the stress, and it's just going to keep stressing, and it's never going to be done, and I quit. And it's kind of where people were at. I don't think that's where we're at right now. Um, we've, we've come alive, and we're, we're doing better. But when I say that, um, that's not everybody. Everybody still has their own stressors. And so understanding how that works is what this is all about today, and I think it'll be helpful to us. There's a wide range of effects that affect people who are experiencing burnout, their physical effects, their emotional effects, their mental effects that, that kind of get at you. And so what do we do um, with that? Now, I'm going to read one quote that kind of is the chief symptom, so to speak, there, but there's a whole host of them I don't have time to get into. Emotional exhaustion is a hallmark of burnout, characterized by feeling drained, emotionally distant, and unable to cope with daily stressors. So having said that, I'm going to have us jump right into something uh, that we're going to spend the rest of our time together on, but I'm going to introduce it with a question, and just here's the question on the screen. Can you think of a man of God, a man of God in the Old Testament who experienced anxiety, depression, exhaustion, and burnout? You don't have to answer out loud. If, if you're to guess, who would it be? And 
Here, here's where we're going. We're going to take a look at a man who was a man of God, who experienced all of these, and makes you ask the question, but why? And the man's name was Elijah, the prophet Elijah. We're going to be taking a look at how this man of God, who was a powerhouse for God, that did amazing things for God, and in fact, in the New Testament, is held up as an example, as a righteous man, powerful and effective. Uh, James wrote this, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. We're going to jump right into the tail end of that three and a half year period into uh, a story, his, his really the main story that we think of Elijah. And if you're unfamiliar with this story, I'm going to urge you to read the part that I can only just give you just some quick snap summarized statements because we're going to go into the burnout section of Elijah rather than the victorious section of Elijah and ask the question, how did this guy who had such victory, who stood up to a, a king who was causing the nation of God to go under because he had married the princess of a pagan king who honored a pagan god, Baal, who was the chief god of the Canaanite pantheon, a fertility god, and Asherah, the counterpart that goes with Baal. He had brought these into Israel, God's nation, and were, was sort of institutionalizing alongside of worshiping Yahweh the pagan practices of how to worship this fertility god and Asherah, and this, the nation was just on the skids. Now, um, so I'm going to summarize, really, uh, 1 Kings chapter 16 and 17 and 18 without giving any detail. So if you're not familiar with this story, I urge you, I'll say it again, read starting at 1 Kings 16. It's a little kind of... A lot of background detail, but really the story begins at chapter 17 where Elijah stands up to King Ahab. He's all alone except for he's a prophet of God. And Elijah says to King Ahab, it is not going to rain except at my word, but he's prophesying. So it's God's word. It is not going to rain except by my word. And then he disappears off the map, which makes King Ahab really, really mad because Baal, a fertility god, is like the god of storms, the god of thunder, the god of lightning, the god who brings the blessing so that you can have a harvest, and they believe you have to do all this stuff so that you can have great economic wealth in your nation. And Elijah says, it is not going to rain until my word says so, proving your god to be nothing. And it stops raining for three and a half years while Ahab is sending out his armies to search for Elijah all this time to find him every which way to try to kill this guy and they can't find him for three and a half years. There's a lot of story that goes in that. And then Elijah shows up to Ahab again and he says, now it's time. And I think it's a good idea we just see who really is God. You bring all of your priests of Asherah and all of your priests of Baal and we're going to meet on Mount Carmel and we're going to have a showdown of the gods. And you can read about that in chapter 18. 
you can guess in the showdown of the gods who wins. The God who is God, not the gods who are not God. And so it's dramatic. It's incredible uh, what takes place. And then Elijah prays. Seven times he prays, and the servant keeps looking to see if anything happens, but he prays, and it, even before he begins to pray, he says to the servant, tell Ahab you better get in his chariots and go on home because it's going to rain. And it's going to get really muddy and bogged down. Get your chariots down off this mountain. And there is not a cloud in the sky. But after seven times praying, there's a little cloud. And then it just begins to build and build and build. And sure enough, it is a mess to ride a chariot down. Elijah girds his loins, which is Bible speak for tucks his cloak underneath his legs and into his belt so he can run. And he begins to run down that hill. He beats the chariot down the hill. And this is just a victory of victory. Then you turn the page out of chapter 18. We get into chapter 19 and something happens. This guy who stood alone against 850 prophets, a king and his armies, and comes out victorious and all the nation shifts back towards Yahweh belief and Yahweh serving, is now shifted to honor God, he is, uh, here's word, official word, that Queen Jezebel, the most wicked character in the Bible, female that you can find, has said, and as surely as the gods live, you will not live beyond this day, uh, and you're going to die. And so she issued a threat of murder. Elijah, who ran down the mountain, then runs. And we read this. Starting at 19, 19, 1 Kings 19, 3 through 5. I hope I got all those chapters right. We turn the page 18, yeah, it goes to 19. Elijah was afraid, which, what just happened there? He wasn't afraid before. He wasn't afraid for three and a half years. He wasn't afraid on Mount Carmel. He wasn't afraid before the armies. He wasn't afraid before the king. And he crumbles with one woman's word. What just happened there? was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush. Now, I kind of like this detail because we have broom bush all over this place. It's like, oh, we've got those. I hate them. Anyway, <laughs> he came to a... I'm allergic. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. So the question, how did this man, who boldly faced down all of these enemies, suddenly melt down? What happened? Answer, burnout. 
okay? Now with this burnout comes fear, depression, anxiety, leading to burnout. It all is kind of jumbled together. So in a sense, this is a great finish to the series because all those topics that we've been dealing with are all wrapped into this big, huge ball of a mess that is just causing a meltdown and he's ready to die. Burnout is the manifestation of chronic, unmitigated stress. So we're going to take a look further into this text and try to see what's happening. So point number one, some common causes of burnout. A on your outline, some common causes of burnout. We run ourselves into the ground. It's a common cause of burnout. We run ourselves into the ground. In 1 Kings 19.3, we read, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Now, let's just get into some of the details there. He ran down the mountain, which was not a huge distance, but it was miles to that first storm night. The very next day, he ran to Beersheba. What you can't see is Beersheba is 120 miles away. Now, I'm not sure how long he was running. He's trying to get away from that wicked, wicked woman because she was the power behind the demise of King Ahab. And she was the one that was instigating all of this pagan, horrific uh, stuff. We won't get into that today. So he ran 120 miles further. Now, that leads me to the question. Now, some of you are like me, that there are periods of time where you run and run and run and run, and not literally, but you pretend that you're the Energizer Bunny, that you can just go and go and go and go, and you're okay. And... Uh, when you get into that mode, you might be like me also, where you're going and going and going, your mind can't stop, and then you try to sleep, and then you sleep a little, and then you're up before you want to be up, and you're going and going and going, and when you're up anyway, you just as well work, and so you go and go and go. It's not a good pattern. And in that pattern, you're setting yourself up. You're setting yourself up for uh, health failure. You're setting yourself up for uh, mental health failure. You're setting yourself up in lots of different ways. None of us are energizer bunnies, right? We don't have an unlimited supply that we can just press ourselves without consequence and just keep running. We need to maintain the rhythms of God's grace that he has graciously provided and even instructed us in. So let's take a look a little bit further into this. Point number one, some common causes of burnout. We run ourselves into the ground. We're ready for B. B, we try to do it all on our own. We try to do it all on our own. We see this. We just read it, 1 Kings 19.3. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servants there. So at least he had a trusted friend, his wingman, and they were on this journey together, and he had somebody to process with, and now he's ready to not even process with anybody. It's a common scenario. You're doing worse, you're doing worse, and pretty soon you isolate yourself on purpose because you don't want to talk about how terrible it is, you don't even know what words to put to it, and you start just doing life alone. 
And that's what he did. He was great until he was not, and he is not for a reason, and now he's just ready to be isolated. He figures that's what he needs, but it's like not helping. He's all on his own. By the way, if you're watching online today, and that's become a habit for you, let me just say, that is not the Bible's description of what church should be like. That you need people. You need the experience of corporate worship. You need a group. If you think that's helpful, I believe in the long run you'll find that it's not. We miss you. We wish you'd be back. For your sake. Don't do life alone. Life is better together. Iron sharpens iron. And so one person sharpens another person. But here's the problem. When you're feeling symptoms of burnout, you tend to want to isolate yourself. But we already know from every point we've been on so far, you can't go based on your feelings and do what you want or you get worse. I know you don't want to talk about the stresses mentally, but we've been saying over and over again, if you have stresses mentally and you're not processing, well, get help. You don't feel like getting help. You don't feel like admitting it. You don't feel like talking to somebody else, but you need to. That's part of the answer. And that's helpful. You don't want to tell people how you're not okay. But that's the start. you got to start with truth. And the truth will set you free. I'm not okay. Would you pray for me? And that's a good thing to start there and find some trusted friends and don't drop them off at Beersheba. Okay? <laughs> So, some common causes of burnout, we run ourselves into the ground, and B, we try to do it all on our own, and C, we dwell on the negative. We dwell on the negative. So in 1 Kings 19, 4 through 6, we read, Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Let's talk about one common negative thinking mistake. Now, we've covered negative thinking a couple of sessions ago. One common negative thinking mistake is comparing yourself with others. Did you see? He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Well, with that... It sounds like a shift in his thinking. He was a lot better than his ancestors. I'm okay. I can do this thing. And now he's discovering he's no better than his ancestors. But the whole comparison thing is a problem. That's one common negative thinking mistake. Another common negative thinking mistake is complaining, which is something Elijah does. We're going to get into that. But the angel who shows up does not say anything about these mistakes. The angel who shows up does not scold and correct him about his comparisons, does not scold and correct him about his negative thinking, does not scold and correct him about how he's all messed up and what he's saying about what really is going on and what's happening. The angel gets really, really practical and gives him food. 
and lets him sleep. Which, I've got to think about that now. I've got some assumptions that I need to correct. Because angel food cake really hasn't been my favorite. <laughs> but man, I've got to rethink that. Because you know what happens? With just a little bit of angel food, okay, bread, angel food bread, this is amazing what takes place. Verse 8, strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, he's already traveled that, I think it's like 17 miles in that first little journey down in the storm, and then 120 miles, and now he's dead. And just with a little bit of rest and angel food cake, all right, bread, he is able to now travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb, which AKA is also Mount Sinai, okay? 250 mile journey from that point for the next 40 days. I want some of that cake. Man, I want some of that cake. Little energy cake here, mm-hmm. Can make a bundle. Hey, guy, write a book. No, no, no. Verse 9. There he went into a cave. This is now on Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Elijah answers, verse 10. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Question. Do you hear anything negative there? Yeah. He's got some negative thinking going on. This is his assessment of what is the condition that he is in and what has happened here. Now, I didn't notice this. I don't know why I didn't notice this until this go around in this study. I had never recognized the fact that God asks Elijah two times, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? I'd never seen that before. So I want to show it to you. So we just read verse 9 where the question is and verse 10 where the answer is. Now we're going to skip ahead to verse 13. Watch this. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Does that sound familiar? All right, watch this. Verse 14, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. It's verbatim. It's exactly the same answer. Here's what I think is going on, and I never noticed this before. In reading this story, I never noticed this was repeated. I never noticed a question was asked twice. I never noticed that he answered two times exactly the same way. Elijah is stuck. He is stuck in this negative way of assessing what's taking place, even though what took place between question number one and question number two was incredible. The demonstration of the power of God, how awesome he is. But 
the power of God and the outstretched hand of God was not big enough to cut through the thought processes that were stuck. I had never seen that before. I want you, now that you've heard that, I want you to take a look and ponder that, okay? Let's read the verses that happened between the two questions, all right? Verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Now, I've seen powerful wind, but I've never seen wind break rocks. That's some wind. Probably more like knocking big rocks off, their clinging shelf, knocking rocks into other rocks. I don't know even how to picture wind that strong. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart shattering the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Elijah is so stuck that God's power didn't shake it loose. Let me say that again. Elijah is so stuck that the raw demonstration of God's power alone didn't shake his negative thinking loose. What did it take? What's it gonna take to get him out of this place of being stuck? One thing is sure, God wasn't going to leave Elijah there. God wasn't done. He wasn't frustrated and said, fine, you're a lost cause. Nothing of the sort. Point number two, the cure. God came to him. God came to him to him. Now, so far, all we've been doing is talking about all the things that Elijah is doing wrong. He was doing stuff so right, so right, so right, so right, and now he starts stumbling and, and thinking wrong and stuck wrong and, and processing wrong. He's just so drained, so empty. He's just stumbling all over himself. He doesn't know what to do, and he's messing up. Mistake, mistake, mistake. He's so stuck in his thinking now, and yet God doesn't confront that. God doesn't correct that. God doesn't get mean about it. He does exactly what Elijah needs and he comes to him first with an angel, then with food, with rest, then with power to show that he's not, his arm is not short. He's not weak. Aren't you gonna trust me? But even that wasn't getting through. And so he comes to Elijah when Elijah is doing everything wrong. Here's a really important point. If you're in burnout mode, he's not done with you. He'll come to you. But you gotta be looking. 
when he comes in power and you just don't see it, it's not coming through, where are you looking? Where was the negative thinking causing Elijah to stay stuck and keep looking? But God wasn't done. God comes in a whisper. Before we get into that whisper, I can't help but see the fact that God comes when we're doing everything wrong. That is his character. It was his character from the whole Old Testament through the story all the way through the New Testament. We read this in the New Testament, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still stuck, while we were in this place all messed up, in a meltdown, doing everything wrong, thinking everything wrong, God is not done with us. All we need is God coming to us. We need his presence, and we need his whisper. But God gets really, really practical. Sends an angel, sends food, sends rest, A on your outline. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is rest. Rest. That's my theology for a nap. That's my justification. I'm sticking with it. Okay? On the screen is a quote. These are rhythms of God's grace given to us by his design and his instruction. Resting before God to honor him is called the Sabbath. He instructs us. He builds in rhythm By the way, if you study nature, you'll study that nature is constantly renewing its energy source, right? Day by day, energy is renewing and renewing. It's constant supply of energy source and the rhythms of grace that God has set up all of nature. He's built us with architectural design that we have a renewable energy source, but for all of that renewable energy, we need rest, we need food, we need God more than either food or rest, but all working together. When you're empty, you need to recharge, rest, refresh, let God restore you. And God comes to you practically, and God comes to you personally. If you don't believe it, you might be stuck. You might be stuck at what it is you're looking at, looking into. Every day is life filled with darkness and filled with light, Every day is a choice, which way will I be stuck? Will I keep looking at this dark stuff that I see on the news every day? Will I keep looking at this dark stuff that's the dark stuff of my life? Or will I look to God's grace, his goodness, what he's blessing me with today? Where are you looking? And are you looking? Open your ears. Because he whispers. Ultimately, what you need is an encounter with God himself. That's B on your outline. Ultimately, what you need most is an encounter with God himself. What's the deal with God whispering? 
I believe that whispers are reserved for close proximity. Whispers are spoken in intimate settings. And who did the whispering here? Was God. He draws close. He's not trying to push you off. He draws close. But if you don't allow space and silence in your life, a whisper gets drowned out. And it's not in the, whispers aren't in the extraordinary. Whispers are in the space and silence of ordinary. It can happen while you're driving. But I just have a question, and it's not an indictment. If you might think about this, I stopped turning on my audiobook, I stopped turning on the radio, I stopped turning on any noise while I drive so I can have a little space and silence in those moments too. And I am enjoying how God uses that space and that silence. God can come to you while you're changing a diaper with a whisper, doing the dishes with a whisper, while you're doing some mundane chore or just taking a walk, which is something I've found over and over again as I walk and do and pray out loud and then in my walking, stop talking and just listen. I hear a whisper. All we need is one whisper in the presence of God and it shakes us out of being stuck. He's got this. And he's God. I won't tell you precisely what he whispered because I want you to read it for yourself. I will summarize it though. He gave one instruction of what his next assignment was and one massive encouragement. That's all we need. A little encouragement, your presence. What do I do next? I'm good. You need an encounter with God. Prayer team, if you'd make your way to the prayer area, that'd be helpful. Everybody else, thank you for coming today. I hope you were encouraged. Here's the main takeaway. If you're experiencing burnout, if you're experiencing mental health issues, it's not because you're a messed up sinner and you're such a loser. That isn't it. You are a child of God, loved by God. You may be used by God in powerful ways. The most powerful prophet I can think of had this same thing. All he needed was God, and God took it upon himself to give him what he needed. That's all you need. This is not a message to put you down. This is a message to lift you up. God loves you. He comes to you even in your mess. And I hope that this day we'll think about that as it relates to wherever you are. If you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God loves you so much, he sent his son. While you were in this mess, he's saying, don't try to fix it first. You don't have what it takes. Just let me love you. I will help you fix it. Let's do this. Turn to God. He loves you that much. We have a connect card for those of you who are guests. I'd love for you to fill one out. Go to the information table. We've got a gift bag for you. We'd love to make the communication two-way and give you some what next kind of things are opportunities as they come. Um, we also have a prayer card to fill out for any prayer need that you might have. And we as a staff pray for those each Monday. The prayer team is here to pray for anything that might be feeling heavy right now for you. Love to have you have them pray for you.
Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this series. Such a reminder that you love us. Such awesome help that's found in your word. Help us be people that look to you and listen to you. And Lord, thank you for cutting through all the mess and helping us by speaking to us and you're whispering to us right now. So much is being said that weren't coming through my lips, but by your spirit through me to our ears, by your spirit through the word to our ears. Help us, encourage us. We wanna follow after you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Next week we start the power of Thanksgiving. Three weeks, the power of Thanksgiving. See you next week.